All right, Galatians chapter 1, let's start off in verse 11 through 16. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church or the congregation of the Almighty beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts. In our last lesson, we almost finished verse 14, and we centered in on what the term Judaism originally meant. I believe it was a noble term in both Maccabees, where we looked at four uses of the word, and also in Galatians, where there's two uses of the word here in our New Testament. And my conclusion is that Judaism originally meant the way of life for the people of Judah. Basically, it was being Torah observant, being observant to the law of Yahweh. It's a very noble term in its original meaning. And Shaul the Pharisee was advancing in Judaism beyond those of his own class, according to verse 14. And this was not a bad thing. Shaul did not write this to say that all of his studies and everything that he believed was wrong. That wasn't why he wrote verse 14. Shaul did not leave Judaism behind to join Christianity as we know it today because Christianity as we know it today didn't exist back in the day of Paul. He didn't stop attending the synagogue to join the church down the street. It's not like he moved his letter from the synagogue to the local Lutheran or Baptist church. Rather, what he left was his former manner of life in Judaism, in the way of life for the people of Judah. See, his focus was in the wrong direction. His focus was on, number one, himself, puffing up and lifting up himself. And number two, his focus was on destroying what he now understands to be the true congregation of Elohim, or the congregation of Yahweh. Before, he wanted to destroy that congregation. Now, as he's writing this letter, he's part of that congregation. And remember, he left a life of ease to a life of poverty and persecution. That lets me know that his conversion was a true one. Now, before we move on to verses 15 through 16, I want to close out verse 14. Let's read this again. Verse 14, he says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, in the last part of the verse, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Now, I want to unpack the phrase ancestral traditions. There is no doubt that Shaul was Torah observant when he was advancing in Judaism. But the use of the word traditions here shows us that he was not only observant when it came to the law of Yahweh, but he was also observant when it came to something called the traditions of the fathers, or the ancestral traditions. Now, traditions came about as the Judahites or the Yehudim in ancient times, in older times, they would discuss how to observe the Torah. A particular law in 
the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, a particular law would be studied, discussed, debated back and forth, and then men would determine how to best carry out and practice that law. For example, examples help me. I hope that this one will help you. We might read a law like Deuteronomy 22, verse 8, which says in the HCSB, If you build a new house, make a railing around your roof so that you don't bring blood guilt on your house if someone falls from it. Now roofs, back in the days of the Hebrews in the B.C. era, and also at the time of the Messiah, they were often flat. And they were used to have dinner on. They were used even to have banquets for guests. When you would invite guests over to your house, you wouldn't take them to the dining room, you'd take them to the roof because the roof was flat. That was a place where they would entertain guests. We remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter had his vision because he fell asleep on the rooftop. So Hebrews would read a law like this in Deuteronomy 22 verse 8, and then they would discuss about the particulars or the specifics of the law. Is a six-inch railing proper? What about one foot high or maybe 18 inches? Maybe we need to make sure it's four feet tall and put pickets every six inches apart. They would discuss things like this and debate the particulars of the law because the law, the written law, did not give all the details or the particulars. Now we do see in this law in Deuteronomy a good intent. The reason for the railing is to prevent people from falling off of your roof. If you build a new house, make sure to put a railing around the roof. You're going to have guests over. You don't want them falling off and being held accountable for their bloodshed. As the song we sang earlier says... The law of Yah is good and wise and sets His will before our eyes. So the intention is clear, but the specifics are not so clear. So within Judaism, a belief existed that along with the written Torah, there existed also a Torah that was not written down. And the Pharisees in particular held to this view of what was later called the oral Torah or oral tradition handed down not in writing, but from mouth to mouth, from father to son, from father to son. The Pharisees believed that the unwritten Torah, sacred tradition, as they would call it, or the tradition of the elders, was spoken by Yahweh to Moses. That's when they believed it originated. And then it was handed down not by letter, but by word of mouth from person to person, all the way to the first century in which they lived. The Pharisees believed this. The Israelite historian Josephus, Flavius Josephus, talks about this in different places, but I pulled one out of his Antiquities of the Jews, book 13, parentheses 297. That's book 13, parentheses 297 of the works of Josephus. Listen to this quote carefully. Quote, The Pharisees have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the laws of Moses. And for that reason, it is that the Sadducees reject them and say that we are to esteem those observances to be obligatory which are in the written word, but are not to observe what are derived from the tradition of our forefathers, end of quote. I want you to notice how Josephus says that these traditions are not written down in the law of Moses, but are rather something passed by mouth only. So the Pharisees believe when Yahweh gave His written law, the Ten Commandments on stone and also the book of the law that Moses wrote down and put by the side of the Ark of the Covenant, Yahweh also gave, the Pharisees believed, Yahweh also gave to Moses an oral law that was not written down, that explained how to observe the written law. 
Now, before we get completely bent out of shape concerning oral tradition, what we need to do is slow down for a second, and we want to think this through, okay? All unwritten tradition is not bad. Let me say that again. All unwritten tradition is not bad. I want to go back to the railing that we built for our new first century Hebrew Judahite home, okay? What if your neighbor built a new house you were friends with, and he put a six-inch tall railing around his roof and pickets every 12 inches apart. And then he invited you and your wife and your little one-year-old and your little three-year-old over for dinner up on top of the roof. Well, you're not going to feel safe at all. I know I wouldn't. Little one-year-old and three-year-old are sometimes difficult to handle, difficult to catch down. And before you know it, They'll go over to the edge and what the house is at least, you know, 10, 12 feet tall back in that that time and fall off and something tragic could happen. So that railing is probably not going to be sufficient. So you have a talk with your neighbor. You get together with your neighbor. You're both law observant. And you talk about, discuss a better railing. And then after you discuss with your neighbor, you decide and he decides on a proper height and structure for a railing. Well, when you do that, and the intentions were all good and well and wise, when you do that, you've just created some tradition, unwritten tradition. And it's not a bad tradition just because it's not written in the law. The tradition was created to help, not to hinder. And whether you realize it or not, every one of us in here and outside of here in the religious world, we have our own traditions as we live out the commandments in our daily lives. We have ways that we understand certain laws, ways that are not necessarily written down in black and white, but things that we've derived from study, discussion, and debate of the text of Scripture. Sometimes we disagree on how a law should be observed. I believe that's okay, so long as we agree that the law should be observed. However, There are some problems with tradition, two in particular. I want to talk about that. Here's a problem with tradition. It's not that all tradition is bad, but it's that oftentimes we begin to hold up our tradition on equal footing with the written law. And then we speak it as though it's written. When it's not written, it's something that we've derived. We come along and stamp our tradition down as though Yahweh spoke it, when in reality, we spoke it. And any time that we place our tradition on the same level as Yahweh's law, that is a sin. If I'm studying a law and I decide that I'm going to carry out this law of Yahweh in a particular way that's not written down in the Torah, because I'm trying to honor Yahweh, catch this now, tradition most of the time was built because a person was trying to honor the Most High, not dishonor but trying to honor. Most of the time, trying to honor the Most High. But if I do that, I'm not then at liberty to force my brother or my sister to follow that law in the same manner that I follow that law in. We only have written commandments. Anything unwritten is something that we've derived or came up with and is our tradition. not saying that it's all bad, but we have to be careful that we don't preach it as law or speak about it as law. Now, I may share with you my view and my tradition and how I observe a law, but you may not understand it the same way that I do. And that's okay. There should be liberty between brothers and sisters in these areas. 
That's one problem with tradition. We try to elevate it to the status of written law. Here's another problem that arises at times with tradition. Sometimes traditions are formed to build fences around Yahweh's law. Yahweh's law is right here, let's say, and we say, well, in order to keep us from violating Yahweh's law, let's build a fence outside of that so we don't come anywhere close to violating the law. Now, from the beginning, that sounds pretty good. The problem is is that at times the fence gets built so high that it ends up causing us to break the written law in order to keep our tradition. One example of this is not speaking the sacred name. One ancient, it's actually an old Jewish tradition that existed back in the days of following Josephus. One Jewish tradition says that a person should not speak the name of Yahweh, the sacred, the holy name of the Creator, lest by chance he might take it in vain or use it in an unworthy manner. Now, rest assured, if you never speak the name of Yahweh, then you'll never use it in an unworthy manner. You'll never blaspheme it in an unworthy manner. The problem with that tradition is that there's places in the written law that tell us to speak the name of Yahweh and call upon the name of Yahweh. So if we come up with a tradition that says, well, we know we won't blaspheme it if we never say it, well, we're violating the written law because the written law says you must say it, you must call upon it. You must sing praises to it. We won't turn to these, but in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, we have another example of tradition violating the law of Yahweh. The Pharisees, who Matthew 15 and Mark 7 is about predominantly, they had come up with a tradition of dedicating everything that they owned to the temple. That sounds well and good. That sounds very noble. All my earthly possessions I give to the Father. I give to the temple. I count none my own. Hear a Pharisee say that, and we think, man, that's that's pretty noble. That's pretty righteous. However, there was a problem here. Some of the Pharisees' parents were getting old. They were getting elderly, and they needed to be taken care of and honored, materially honored. But the Pharisee would say, I can't honor my parents. I can't take care of my parents materially because I've already dedicated all my belongings to the temple. And Yeshua said that you violate the commandment through your tradition. See, the tradition said we're going to dedicate all our belongings to the temple. The commandment said, no, when your parents get old and they can't fend for themselves, you are to take care of them and you are to honor them materially. So the tradition overruled the commandment. Yeshua said that's a no-no. Anytime a tradition causes you to violate a commandment, it's a bad tradition. Anytime a tradition is held up as a written law across the board and preached as though it's the law, you've taken that tradition too far. Now, back to Galatians 1. Why do I bring all of this up? Well, not only to teach and to exhort you about how to go about interpreting and practicing the laws of Yahweh. I think that's a good thing to do. Discuss, debate, study, meditate. That's great. But I bring this up to explain that this is part of what Paul is writing about in Galatians 1.14. When he says he was zealous for his ancestral traditions, he was one of the Pharisees in the days of our Messiah. When a Pharisee spoke of the Torah, he automatically believed in his mind in both the written law and the unwritten tradition. He did not separate the two. And he did not speak of all the time written and unwritten. He would just say Torah or law 
And in his mind, he would think written and unwritten. They're both equal. They're both the same. The written was good in the Pharisees' mind, but the oral tradition showed you in more detail how to follow the written law. So to forsake tradition, the tradition of the fathers, in the mind of the Pharisee, was to forsake the Almighty. Now it's important to catch this in Galatians 1.14 to help understand part of what is taking place in this epistle. Sometimes, sometimes, you can read the word law in the New Testament And unless you understand that it's a reference to the law in the mind of a Pharisee, you won't get the precise meaning of the text. The Gospel of John is a great example of this because the Gospel of John tells you in black and white that Yeshua broke the Sabbath. I believe it's in John chapter 5. It says because not only had he broken the Sabbath. Now if we read that exactly as it reads, we have a problem because Yeshua is the spotless, sinless Lamb of Yahweh, right? He didn't break the Sabbath. But the context is He broke the Sabbath in the minds of the Pharisees. See? Because He, what? He would heal somebody on the Sabbath. And according to their tradition, you've got six days to come and be healed. Why do you come and be healed on the Sabbath day? Of course, Yeshua, He was very intelligent. He showed them how that they had uh, misinterpreted and misunderstood the law of Yahweh. So I believe that some, some of what Paul deals with in the book of Galatians is the law as it is perceived in the minds of Pharisaic Judaism. Remember when we talked about circumcision. And in Galatians, I believe the word circumcision is shorthand for proselyting over to Judaism minus the Messiah. It's a shorthand term not just for a male but also for a female in the book of Galatians. We might wonder, how can a female become circumcised? Well, the issue was not so much in Galatia, the issue was not so much Abrahamic circumcision as it was you must convert over, your ethnic identity must become one that is a Yehudim. You cannot be a Gentile, stay a Gentile, and have salvation. You've got to convert first. You must be circumcised. When we understand that the envelope around that is not just the written Torah, but also the tradition of the fathers. Something that is cloudy and fuzzy becomes a lot more clear. We begin to understand what Paul was dealing with. So, I do not believe that every use of the word law is talking about written and oral. I think predominantly it will be talking about the written, because I believe that's the only law that exists, is Yahweh's written commandments. I'm just saying that Paul brings up his ancestral traditions here in Galatians 1.14. Very clearly at the end of that verse. So that is a backdrop upon which to understand certain uses of the word law in this epistle. And as we continue going through Galatians, I'm going to try my best to decipher the text that I think that this comes into play. So, I think that's sufficient to cover verse 14. Let's move on to verses 15 through 16 a little bit. Let's read those again. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. Paul says, but when he, he there is Father Yahweh, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now, there's so much in these verses that it makes me want to smile. I think I got goosebumps when I was studying and reading this. 
preparing for this lesson. We won't cover everything in detail today, but I want to begin to open them up. Verse 15 begins with, but with he. And I could preach an entire sermon on those three words, 30 minutes. I could spend 30 minutes just on those three words. As I was putting the sermon together, I was reminded of Brother TJ's last lesson on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. How that we were all dead in trespasses and sins. But Yahweh, verse 4 says, Ephesians 2, verse 4, made us alive. We didn't have anything to do with it. Yahweh made us alive. And that's Paul's point here in Galatians 1.15. He's talking about how he was doing his own thing. He was studying the Torah. He was advancing in Judaism. He was zealous for the traditions. And in the midst of all that, he was persecuting the believers in the Messiah. And Shaul the Pharisee would be the last person on earth that you would think would convert to believe in Yeshua of Nazareth. He would be someone a believer would think there was no hope for. You'd see him and you'd think, if somebody told you, well, we need to pray for him, we need to witness to him, they'd think, man, that's, that's the great persecutor of, of the Messianic faith. He has no hope. But Galatians 1.15 says, but when he, but when he, not, not Matthew, not Shaul, not you, but when he, Almighty Yahweh. See, Yahweh can save anyone he wants to save. Scott West, the young man I went to school with and went to church with, Sounds like he's in a lot of trouble right now. He's not too hard for Yahweh to save. Yahweh could save Scott tonight. He could. So therefore, we don't need to give up on Scott. We need to continue to pray for him and if we have the chance to share the gospel with him. Yahweh can change anyone he wants to change. Yahweh can take a man or a woman that no one would ever imagine would serve him and bring them out of darkness into this marvelous light. That's the beauty of but when he. It's not but when thee. <laughs> it's but when he. And look at when this but when he goes back to. And this shakes me. Paul says, but when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. Paul was set apart for the good news of Yeshua of Nazareth while he was in the womb of his mother. Yet it did not take place until he was a grown man. Think about that. Remember, he's a great persecutor prior to his conversion on the road to Damascus. But Yahweh had already set him apart. When? When he was inside the womb of his mother. Now, to a Hebrew that would get this letter, a Hebrew that knew the Old Testament, that knew the Tanakh, when he would see that Paul wrote, but when he, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, what do you think a Hebrew who was familiar with the Tanakh, with, who, who do you think he would think about? Anybody got any guesses? Any idea? I think it would be the prophet Jeremiah. Because the prophet Jeremiah says the exact same thing in the first chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, that he was called from his mother's womb, inside his mother's womb. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. See, Paul was set apart way back then. Brothers and sisters, the very person that you think would never become a believer may indeed become a believer. Because they may have been set apart even from their mother's womb. Don't ever think that Yahweh's grace is not powerful enough to save someone from their sins. That's what grace is. And we're talking about grace here. Because the next thing that Paul writes in verse 15 is, and called me through His grace. And I think the sentence structure, called me through His grace and set me apart, are both a reference to why He was inside His mother's womb. 
I think setting apart and calling by the grace is the same thing. Grace is only for the undeserving. Grace is what Paul received. Grace is Yahweh reaching down and forgiving you and changing you into something that you could have never been in your own power. Saul was doing his own thing, but when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace. That's all of Yahweh, none of Shaul. Anyone who has ever been delivered was delivered by grace. And let me say this, and I say it emphatically, if we are not saved by grace, then there's not one of us that's getting saved. Because not one of us are good enough to stand in the presence of the Most High, Almighty, Sovereign Yahweh. No matter how good we try to make ourselves look, no matter how much of a show we may put on at church or in public, no matter how holy we can sound or how holy we look with our tassels hanging off of us or our tunic on our back, Yahweh knows who we really are in our darkest and lowest moments. Yahweh knows. Yahweh sees every act of ours in public and, yes, also in private. Yahweh knows every thought that goes through your mind. And there is no man or woman in here or alive on planet earth today that deserves the love of Yahweh. Anybody that loves Yahweh now, it's because Yahweh by His grace loved you first. He is in your life because He has not dealt with you as you deserve. If He dealt with you or with me as we deserve, we would die in our sin. And we will be punished forever. But He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103. He has not repaid us according to our offenses or our transgressions. You are His child today because He's not dealt with you as you deserve. You are His child today because He reached down and showed you the same grace that He showed Saul the Pharisee on that road to Damascus. You are His child today by His calling of grace, period. Nothing added to it. It is not cooperation that saves you. You don't earn anything. You don't save yourself. You don't add to the finished work of Yeshua. It is not of any works that you do whatsoever so that no one can boast and say that we're better than the next person. When we get to the kingdom of heaven, if I'm asked the question, why am I here and not my neighbor or somebody that I knew? I don't say because I was more penitent or because I was just a better person than him, I say it solely by the grace and the mercy of Yahweh. Anything that I accomplish, any good works that I do now, and rest assured, the believer that is born from above does good works, but any good works that I do came about because of the influence of Yahweh upon my life and only the influence of Yahweh upon my life. We don't cooperate for our salvation. When I say salvation... I use salvation in the same way that the Bible uses salvation. Salvation is spoken about in the Bible like this. We have been saved, we are saved, and we will be saved. You find all three tenses in the Bible. All three. So when I say that we're saved by grace, I mean that we have been saved by grace, we are saved by grace, and we will be saved by grace. All right? It is totally, completely, utterly, and only because of His calling of grace upon your life. Once again, Paul says, But when He who had set me apart, even from my mama's womb, and called me by His grace. Oh my Yah. That is something to shout and to sing about. 
as I conclude. There's a lot more to get into in verses 15 and 16, and we're going to get into it. But as I close today, please realize that you are who you are by the grace of Yahweh. And when you see the drug addict on the street, or when you see the wino on the street, or when you see somebody that violates the Sabbath day, or eats unclean foods, or dishonors their parents, or commits adultery, don't look at them and say, I thank Yahweh that I'm not like them. Look at Yahweh and say, thank you for your grace on my life. And I hope and I pray that that man or that woman can experience the grace that you have shown me. Saul was not seeking for Yahweh's son on the road to Damascus. He wasn't looking for him. But Yahweh was looking for Saul. Because Yahweh had already set Saul apart while he was still in the water sack inside of his mama. He already decided it. And I would guess, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Saul was definitely a grown man. He was advancing above his contemporaries. I think that he was pushing for a seat in the Sanhedrin, so he's probably around my age, maybe a little bit older. And Yahweh already had it planned out when he was in the water sack. Catch that. Nobody knew it until the appointed time when Yahweh was pleased to reveal it. Hallelujah. Friends, when we meet people on a day-to-day basis, when we see someone who is caught up living in their sin or maybe even tangled up in their religion, instead of judging them to the lake of fire, why don't we look at them as an opportunity to show some love and kindness to I believe that love and kindness and caring and sharing the law and the gospel will do so much, much more than any apologetics course you could take at any seminary to try to argue with an unbeliever that there is a creator. Don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time on that. Show love, show kindness, show caring, and share with them the law and the gospel. The gospel is the power of Yahweh unto salvation to everyone that believeth, both to the Judahite first and also to the one from the nations. So trust in Yahweh's method. Don't think, well, I've got to get all technical and I've got to go study apologetics and I've got to you know, show them about this aeon and this billion years and all, all this. No, don't think about all that. All you need is the law and the gospel. Yahweh's already given it to you. The law and the gospel. The law to convince them that they're a sinner and then the gospel for the healing balm to go over that salve after you burned it with the law. And that will bring a sinner to repentance in Yahweh's time when he's pleased to reveal his son in them. He will do it. He will do it. Let's realize that those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick need a physician. Let's see people as this one might have been set apart from their mother's womb. And their time might just be right around the corner. So let me not judge them eternally. Let me witness and let me share. Let me love. Let me pull over and change a tire for this person. Do you know that as a Christian, as a believer... That right there is a, a facet of witnessing to a person right there. And then they find out how you believe and they remember, man, that guy showed me love. The world, sinners, should see the most love from the congregation. Now, sad to say, normally in Christianity, the way that we treat sinners is by looking down through our nose at them 
and thinking that we're better than them because of something that we do. That's not, that's not the mind of the, of the true Christian. That's not the mind of the true follower of the Christ. Yeshua was a friend of sinners, and that didn't mean that he did what they did. That didn't mean that he participated in their sin. But that meant that he was friendly and loving and caring to them. He saved his harshest rebuke to the guys that thought they had everything figured out, the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who he rebuked and threw up the road. But to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes even, when they would come to him, he would let them wash his feet with their tears or say, I'm going to your house to eat dinner tonight. Zacchaeus. Let us be like the Messiah. Don't throw people away. I'm sure there would be some people that would have thrown Saul of Tarsus away. Ah, oh, he's just too far gone. There's no hope for him. There's no way that he could ever accept Yeshua. But see, that's not for you or me to decide. We are just to share the gospel and let Yahweh do his work. We're not called to give the increase. As I like to say, that's above our pay grade. Yahweh gives the increase. We're called to do what? To plant into people and to water after we plant. And to do so with love. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Correcting his opponents in gentleness, perhaps Yahweh may grant them repentance. So let this be our eyes today and all days. May our hearts be changed to view people not as things to be condemned, but as human beings to be cared for and witnessed to with love. Our goal is not their destruction. Yahweh himself does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked one that dies but rather that he repents. Always remember Yahweh's grace upon Saul's life. And always remember Yahweh's grace on your life, brother or sister. Always remember that when you start feeling like his grace is not big enough for someone else's life. It could be they've been called from their mother's womb. Don't ever forget that. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh Father, we thank you for your grace. May we never get caught up into thinking that you owe us anything. May we always realize that in our life, the changing point is but when He, not but when I, but when He. Thank you for calling us in the wounds of our mothers. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we could be forgiven, so that he could take our place and we could be forgiven of our sins. May we share this message, the message of the holy law and the precious gospel to people that we meet each and every day. May we never think that you're not big enough to save somebody. No matter who they are, no matter what they profess. For you even save murderers. And Saul of Tarsus is proof of that. We glorify and we praise you. All these things we pray to you, Holy Father, through your Son. Amen. Yahweh bless you.